Okay, so I'm going to be talking a lot about elders and pastors. Those two words in the Bible are synonymous. There's not a word in the Bible for elder and a word for pastor. They're, they're, they're the same thing. Um, consider what Jesus said on the night that he's betrayed. You remember in the upper room, he washed the disciples' feet. Remember that? But what he said after that is striking. He said, I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Now, he's not saying that elders should be washing your feet. He's saying that those who have been given the authority and the responsibility of shepherding care should look to Christ for how he shepherded and do it likewise. So brothers, as elders and pastors, this is your charge. You are to look to Christ as he's shown us and look to his word. And so this is the character or position that Christ calls his under-shepherds, elders and pastors, to emulate, to abase themselves for the sake of the spiritual life of his people. So what I want to do is pay attention in John chapter 10 to who Christ is as an example, as the example that elders are called to, and then consider that in, in our neighborhood small groups. Okay? So neighborhood small groups are going to be a main place where you receive the Christ-like elder shepherding care. And I want to set that tone because groups are starting this week. All right? So I'm just going to pick out a few traits of Christ here and apply it to elders to set the, the bar for the expectation of what I want you to go into groups expecting. Okay? Um, one of the problems in the church today is the people do not expect to be intrusively, proactively cared upon by men, by elders. You expect to show up on Sunday and go home and never be bothered by an elder. You don't expect an elder to ask anything of you or to ask any questions about your life or to care in meaningful, intimate, intrusive ways. And as you can see about Jesus, that's, that's the other. So what I want to do is set a standard for that so we can grow into it. All right, so every line of Scripture is amazing. It's a wonder. It's eternal. It's true. We've sung it. And, and yet here we hear Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says it twice in this passage. And he is not only speaking, but he's speaking about himself. He is the author and he's the subject he speaks and he speaks about himself. And what does he say about himself? We should pay attention to this. He could have said anything about himself. What does he say about himself? I am the good shepherd. Now, this maybe doesn't have the impact in our day because we have, especially if you've been in the church for any time, come to love this uh, analogy of shepherd. It's dear to us. It's precious. It's intimate. It wasn't so then. Shepherds were, I don't know, like garbage men. Right? Jesus, I am the good garbage men. <laughs> They're the menial, low, gross. And for Jesus to say this in front of the Jews and the religious leaders, this wouldn't have been impressive to them. They didn't want shepherds. They wanted kings. They didn't want low. They didn't want dirty. They didn't want humble. 
They wanted force. They wanted personality, charisma, power. And so Jesus is here taking on a humble, small, low, debased position in care that has to do with laying down his life, that has to do with giving, that has to do with protecting, that has to do with leading. They didn't want it. And in all honesty, we don't either. We want glory. We want leaders who are glorious. Isn't that the church today? We want rock star pastors and elders. We want our pastors who have, you know, Twitter followers in the tens of thousands. We don't care if they're actually shepherding us so long as they have a big name and our church is big. Jesus wasn't like that. His crowds grew smaller the more he did ministry because he shepherded saints, because he gave intrusive, personal, intimate, loving care. He wasn't about the name. And so this is who Jesus is. And so we're all his sheep, which of course, you know, isn't flattering. And so we read in 1 Peter 2, 25, that we all, like sheep, are continually straying. But by God's grace, we have returned to the great shepherd of our souls. That's Christ. In Hebrews 13, 20, Jesus isn't just a good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. Why? Because he alone be willing to lay down his life for people like us. Again, back in 1 Peter 5, 4, Christ is the chief shepherd who will one day return and reward faithful elders and pastors for their care of the flock after good shepherd on high. So we see here that Christ is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd. He alone made the sacrifice that saves us from eternal life. He alone is the door by which we can enter to eternal life, and so there's no one else like him. Elders and pastors are a shepherd. He's the shepherd. There is only one great shepherd and overseer of our souls, and it's Christ. And so though elders and pastors are going to endeavor personal, intimate, close care for your lives, we do it in Christ's stead to point you to Christ. We cannot supplant him. We don't want to. We want to point you to him. So Christ is this the shepherd, and that's why it's utterly surprising when the word of God takes that precious term applied to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and applies it to elders and pastors. Striking. Christ is the shepherd. He's appointed to this eternal salvation of his people. And then that same word is applied to those that God has given his church to care for them and lead them. Jeremiah 3.15, God promised that he would give shepherds after his own heart. In Ephesians 4.11, it says that God's Spirit would give shepherds to equip the saints for the building up of Christ's body. Elders and pastors are called to shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but being examples. Christ, the shepherd, calls those he has left in his stead shepherds. It's striking. It's striking. So that's why we 
What we're seeing at Pine Grove is we as shepherds, I think, do a a really good job at um, crisis reactive care. Not to both. When there's a need in your life and it becomes known, we're there. And I, I think, not to boast, God forgive me, uh, the elders of our church do excellently when you have a need. No matter what it is, we're there. Um, if it's known. If it's not known, we're not, and sometimes you're disappointed at that. Um, but if it's known, we're there. But what we've noticed is we aren't as good at proactive kind of ongoing, intimate care when there's just not a need, but just, just to be there to building you up. And so that's what neighborhood small groups are for. It's for the more proactive, there's nothing wrong in your life, you're just living, and, and we want to be in it. And, and, and so that's what we're creating these for, for consistent, ongoing, a place to gather, to know you, to, to, to pay attention to you, to lead, guide, feed, protect you. So that's why we're creating neighborhood small groups. That, that was the main motivation. We've been talking about this for three years. And from the beginning, that was it. What I want to do is look at John 10 and bring out one, two, three, four, five ways that the elders want to look to Jesus, that the elders and pastors want to look to Christ, the good shepherd, and try to model our care on his. It's appointed, eager, knowing, protecting, and sacrificing. Those are the five things. The first thing we note in our section is that Christ was appointed to this work. This commandment I received from the Father. Christ came in obedience to the Father's command. He was chosen for this. Within the Trinity of all eternity, it was appointed that the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, would take on flesh and come down and live and bleed for his sheep. This is what Christ was appointed to. In a very real way, though infinitely lesser, Christ has appointed your elders and pastors for this work. We didn't have an election to see who you thought should do it. None of these guys paid for the privilege God, by his grace and sense of humor, (laughs) raises up men within the church to shepherd his people. He commands these men in 1 Peter 5 to shepherd my flock that is among you. This is an appointment from God. And so my brother elders... And deacons alongside, God, through his Son, by his Spirit, has given you a charge to shepherd his people. You know in 1 Peter 5 that you will give an account for this. Now, you, as the people that we dearly love, should know God has not given you angels as your shepherds. He is desirous that you know that we need Christ as much as you, that we are as sinful and fallen and rebellious as you, so that you ultimately look to him. We are going to disappoint you and fail you and sin against you. And yet God has given 
us to you for this care. We are appointed. So I'd encourage you to be patient and glad and participate in this care. Submit to it. We really want you to want to be a part of a neighborhood small group, not feel like you have to. We want you to look at neighborhood small groups as not something I have to do, but something I get to do. Um, because we want to care for you. That's the first one appointed. second one is eager. Look at how Christ repeats again and again that he's a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He is glad to proclaim this. He is eager to proclaim this. The Jews mock him for his boasting, state that he's insane, that he's filled with demons, but their jeers matter not to Christ because he's not at all ashamed to, for this work. He's eager for it. He is pleased to be your shepherd. For my, you hear that in him? I am the good shepherd. I get to lay down my life for my sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 13. I know my own. I have other sheep that are not here yet. I'll bring them too. The Father loves me because I do this. He's eager for it. You should know that about Christ. He's not a reluctant shepherd. In eternity, when the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were ordaining our salvation, Jesus didn't go, I guess. You sure you don't want the Spirit to do this? No, he was eager. He's glad for it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, right? He's an eager shepherd. He states and restates and restates again how good it is to be our shepherd, to lay down his life. He delights in it. And so we as elders and pastors, honestly, if you're just sitting in our meetings, this is what it's like. We like this calling. We're glad for it. It's hard sometimes. Sometimes we whine. But it's not a burden. It's not reluctance. I remember once a well-known pastor leaving his church because he was tired of the kind of pastoral ministry he had to do in the church and he was on a talk show sometime later complaining about his church. And I thought, my God, that church is lucky he's gone. He's complaining publicly about his sheep. He's a, they were a burden to him. They weren't doing it right. That's bad. You don't, you don't have that attitude among your elders or pastors here. Um, again, we're boasting. God, forgive me for boasting about this, but it's, we, we like this calling. But eager, we're eager for it. In fact, that's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. Don't be reluctant in this, but eager. Not under compulsion, but eagerly. And so you'll know in adding neighborhood small groups, we are adding the opportunity for much more time with you. That's the point. We felt in ourselves that we didn't have a much, as much kind of eyeball-to-eyeball, face-to-face, smaller, more intimate time with you, and we wanted it. That's why we're doing it. And, you, and on your part, I'm stating that as an expectation, it's a high one, but you're gonna, you know that that kind of trust and relationship takes years to build. Don't go into your neighborhood small group expecting this to happen real quick. The kind of care and the kind of relationships that we want you to build with each other and you to build with us take years, not weeks, not months. And so as you consider neighborhood small group, and hopefully it's a get-to, not a have-to, be in for, for the long haul. Be, be in. Give us your heart. 
Learn to trust us. Just put yourself into it. Be faithful. Be attentive. Give yourself to us as elders. I know these men. They're worthy of your trust. So first, we're appointed to it. We're eager for it. Lastly, uh, we see in John chapter 10, or not lastly, I'm sorry. Thirdly, in John chapter 10, uh, Jesus talks about what a privilege it is to know his people. I know my own, and they know me. Look at verse 3. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. Isn't that precious, what your Savior's like? Jesus is here contrasting consistently his kind of shepherding care with the hireling. You know what a hireling doesn't know? The names. He doesn't. Hey, you. Doesn't know your name. Jesus' name. name. God, give us faith to believe that he knows my name, that he knows your name. Do you know that? This is the hardest thing to believe for a Christian, that Christ has this kind of intimate, personal care for you. And he does. He calls his own sheep by name. Can you conceive of how intimate and full his knowledge is of you? Our groaning is not hidden from him. Psalm 38, 9. He knows our tears and keeps track of each of our sorrows. 2 Kings 25 and Psalm 56, 8. He knows us. And this word knowing in the Bible is infinitely more than just seeing or observing. Knowing here doesn't mean Jesus is up on high looking down and observing. Knowing is um, it's fatherly. It's near. It's intimately involved. It's governing. It's, it's watching over and protecting every step so that you get to where he wants you to go. It's planning every step along the way so that you are where he wants you at the end of time, which is with him. There's a reason that in, later on in John chapter 10, he says, no one can pluck you from my father in my hand. Why? Because he knows you. That's what knowing is. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he knows you. He knows you. It's secure, uh, that it's ordaining. We notice later on in chapter 10 uh, that in verse 16 that he has sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking to Jews here. He's saying, now there's other Gentiles. I'll bring them too. This knowing is eternal. This is electing love here. It says the doctrine of God's foreknowledge of whom he would save. Jesus knows whom he's going to save. He even knows all of the evil in your heart, in my heart, in our sin, all of it. All of it. And far from using that as a weapon against us, he comes and bleeds to forgive. He lives a righteous life that now becomes our record. And, and this kind of knowing, although we can never know as Christ knows, as elders and pastors, 
This is what we're supposed to do in Acts 20.28. Please note this. Acts 20.28 has kind of been the verse that we as elders have gone to as we've considered neighbored small groups. If you want to look at it later on. Acts 20.28 says, pay careful attention to all the flock. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is Paul talking to elders of a local church. Pay careful attention to my flock that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which you obtained by his own blood. This is what the elders are supposed to do. Pay careful attention. Sometimes you come to church to hide, don't you? You don't want to be known. Because every time in your life you've been known, there's been rejection. Again and again and again. Maybe from your dad. Maybe from a spouse. Maybe from a church. And, and you really struggle to want to even be in this kind of an intimate relational setting like a small group. Maybe it terrifies you. Now, for some of you, it doesn't terrify you like this is your happy place. The more the better and the louder the better. Right? But that's not so for everybody. You want to maintain a safe distance. You want relationships, but not relationships. But this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pay careful attention. We're supposed to notice things. At, at my previous church, um, we had a, shortly after I got there, uh, got a call from a guy whose wife had left him. Just note in the morning, or when he got home from work, everything gone. Didn't think it was coming, didn't see it coming. They were leaders in the church. They were well-known in small groups. And what I heard consistently from people is, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. And I thought two things. That's a shame. Somebody should have known them well enough to see it coming. And second, that's just not true. We see things. We just don't want to do anything about them. That's not what the church is for. The church is for elders and pastors to pay careful attention to you so we see it coming. And we intervene long before it's there. That's what we want these for. So what's your part in that? Be willing to be known. Have faith in God enough to, over the years of being in a small group, let yourself be known. Be willing to be embarrassed. Be willing to deal with your own sin with one of us. It takes faith in God. It's scary. You have to trust us. I'm not saying you've got to do it this week, but maybe in a couple of years. Have faith in God for that. Fourth, Christ protects. You see that in contrast in verses 12 and 13. A wolf comes... And the hireling leaves. He protects himself. It says he cares nothing for the sheep. He, he doesn't own the sheep. He has no investment in the sheep. It's all about him. But not Christ. He puts himself between us and danger. And lays down his life. 
And the first enemy that Christ protects us from is, um, strangely, our own sin. He gets between you and your sin. The thing that would take you down to eternal hell. The thing that would brings the most misery in your life. Christ, the good shepherd, lays down his life to protect you from. He protects you from you. <laughs> He's willing to do that. To redeem us, to birth us anew, to conquer sin and lead us from it. Isn't that good? The thing that you hate most in your life, that causes you the most tr- trouble in your life and others, causes trouble for others in your life, is our own sin. Christ protects us from. He protects us from the devil. He protects us from things in this world that would take us from. That's what elders are supposed to do. Elders are here to protect you from your sin. James 5, it tells you to come and confess sin. The context there is eldering. You might remember Jesus in John chapter 8, a woman was come, brought before him, dragged before him, caught in the very act of adultery, it notes. And um, he protected her from the wickedness and malice of her accusers. But then he also protected her from her sin. You remember what he said at the end? Go and sin no more. From now on, sin no more. He'd protect her from the men who were abusing her, taking advantage of her, and from her. That's what we're supposed to do for you. The opposite of that is flattery. This is one thing the church is really good at. We flatter each other. We lie to each other. We will not tell the hard truth. We, we say what is kind of true, but really is, is not loving at all. And, and we can't do that as elders. We can't do that. But we're not only protecting us from the sin within, but from without. In Acts 20, 29, right after verse 28, where it says, pay careful attention, he answers the question why the elders should pay careful attention. Verse 29 says that from within the church, savage wolves would come up and not spare the flock. Most of the New Testament after the Gospels is written to churches because of wolves within the church. Paul or Peter or John is writing to protect the church, urging the elders to protect the church from problems within the church. Um, this is what we're supposed to do as elders to have that kind of ongoing care and, and we, sometimes we think yeah right come on within Pine Grove we have wolves it doesn't happen today it doesn't happen here it, it absolutely does it absolutely does. And so we want to be in neighborhood small groups to have this kind of care for you. At uh, Brian's funeral, Brian Norberg's funeral, the, the funeral director and I were standing right in the back there going over some details, and he just kind of stopped and said, I just got to tell you something. Um, we... It's going to sound strange. He said, we like doing funerals at Pine Grove. And I said, 
what? <laughs> um, did you provide the lunch today? Uh, anyways, and, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, what we have seen in the last 10 or 15 years in the church is pastors and elders aren't involved in people's lives anymore. And during funeral stuff, we go and meet with the families. The pastors and elders aren't there. Um, and the pastor just wants to show up at the service and preach. We plan the service. We choose the songs. We plan the readings. And that's not true at Pine Grove. Your elders were there with the family constantly. And again, I'm boasting, but let me do it because it's true. Pine Grove is becoming known for really good personal pastoral care. It's, that's what he sees. And that's what we want to have neighborhood small groups to even do better. Because you matter to Christ, and so you matter to us. And that's why at the very end, at the heart of Christ's shepherding care is sacrifice. That's the main thrust of this entire passage. The good shepherd is a good shepherd. Why? Because he lays down his life for the sheep. He says, I lay it down of my own initiative. Four times in these verses... Talking about his love, it's laying down his life for his beloved sheep. But this isn't only what Christ did at the end of his life. This is what he did throughout his entire life. He came from heaven and took on flesh, laying down his life. He, he spent his life giving of himself for us. Teaching, praying, correcting, protecting, leading, all the way up to the cross. Why? That we might have eternal life. So that we might no longer have fear of God's judgment of hell but the hope of heaven so that his father would be our father and he did it willingly now elders likely will never have the privilege of taking a bullet for you what does it look like for an elder to follow Christ in sacrifice let me mention a few this is what I'm asking you to hold us accountable this is what you can expect from us one is prayer you can expect us to spend much time in prayer for you, especially those of you in our own neighborhood small groups. We want to know what we can be praying for you because we will be praying for you. Second is we're going to be present. We're going to show up. We commit to being there, being physically present in neighborhood small groups and at other times um, to be there for you. We want to be physically present with you, attentive. Third, to listen, to pay attention to you, to, to actually hear you, to, to, this is going to sound odd or maybe weird, but to make judgments. We're going to have to be considering what you're saying, not only what you're saying, but why you're saying it, how you're saying it watch it. We care. Fourth, you can trust us to tell the truth to you. We're going to, by God's grace, not flatter you. It's the other thing the funeral director, he said, he said, here's what I, he said, Pine Grove is two things. You guys care, and if you want God's truth, this is the church for you. And he's a member of another church. <laughs> you should expect us to tell you the truth. And fifth, confession, or uh, compassion. This isn't a job to us. This isn't a calendar thing for us. 
It's a privilege. Our hearts are full considering that we get to do this with you. We are not Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man. We are no priests. Only Christ can make atonement for your sin. But he has placed us here to do this good work for you. All right, so what's your part in all this? That's all what the elders are supposed to be doing. The pastors are supposed to be doing. What's your part in this? Right? This is of eternal significance to you, isn't this? But we are speaking here as of eternal things. You have immortal souls to be concerned about, not to mention the souls of your precious children and grandchildren and future generations. Christ is here speaking of being a shepherd. The Bible calls elders and pastors co-shepherds for your salvation. This matters to you. Let me read a quote from Jonathan Edwards that he preached at a, a, a commissioning service for a pastor in his area. And he closed it with a elders were going to invitation to the church, their part in the care that the pastor and elders were going to provide for them. So this is my answer to the question if you're asking, what's my part? Here it is. And as it is your duty and interest to well support your elders and pastors, so it concerns you to pray earnestly for them. That's number one, pray. And each one to do what in him lies in all respects to encourage and help him, help them. So pray, encourage, and be a help to them. Strengthen their hands. Attend diligently to the ministry. Show up. Be present. Engage. Receive the truth in love. Treat them with the honor. Do them as those sent by Christ. Take care to avoid all contention with them, with one another. Take heed in particular that you are not disloyal to following them. That's what we want from you. That's what we want. Let's pray. Father, we commend ourselves to you for this. We know as elders and pastors that we are completely insufficient for this. We have no sufficiency in ourselves. We wish we were better at this. We hate our lack. We hate our sin. And so God, be merciful to us. Help us to shepherd your people in a way that will be commendable at the end. And God, may your people engage in it. Pray for us, encourage us, um, and give us loyalty. And may it ultimately result in your glory. All glory to you in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.